So today I'm going to frame my talk um, using buffalo grass as a model. And so that's the primary species that our lab works with. So, so basically I'm going to chat a little about that. Before I do, though, I, I think it's important to, to revisit why buffalo or bioinformatics. There's too many B words in this talk, so I'm going to get confused. Uh, but why, why bioinformatics is kind of emerging uh, as an important field. Uh, and I'm going to do that by, by looking at some publicly available data. Uh, I pulled some information that's available from the National Center of Biotechnology Information, which is a public repository, stores a lot of uh, DNA sequence information, along with lots of other information. But for this talk right now, I'm just going to focus on some of the express sequence tagged information that they have. So, so basically what I'm showing here is the amount of uh, express sequences that, that have been sequenced and deposited in the da database uh, for wheat, right? And so you can see that there's about one and a half million, I think that's right, yeah, so about one and a half million EST sequences for wheat. So that's a lot of data, right? And so, so that's part of what we're talking about with bioinformatics. It's a recurrent theme that came up with some of the talks this morning, so, so it's really a lot of data. And, and also to look at some of these other species like soybean, it's about the same. Uh, as for wheat, and then corn's up over two million. But I don't have the luxury of working with, with those species, unfortunately. So, so I work primarily on buffalo grass. As of last week, when I pulled this data, there's zero ESTs published for buffalo grass. And, okay, so, so what I'm gonna do now is kind of talk about some of the challenges, really, of, of using some of these tools to explore basically specialty crops that, that don't have a lot of the same types of resources as some of these, these bigger agronomic crops. Um, but again, to do that, I think it's nice to kind of set the page, set the stage and give everybody a little background on, on where or kind of how some of these tools have evolved. And I know some of that discussion came out this morning, um, but this graph here I, I completely stole from the internet, but basically it shows kind of growth in uh, sequence technology, sequencing technology over the past 30 or so years. Okay, and you'll notice, um, so on the horizontal axis is showing years since 1980 to the future, a future date. And the uh, vertical axis there is, is showing the amount of sequence data that one of these sequencers can generate. And so we're talking really about analyzing and working with large scale sequencing data sets. And the other thing that it's kind of important to point out is, is you'll notice that the graph on the, or the, the vertical axis is, is basically on a logarithmic scale. So we've seen this huge growth over recent years in particular with the amount of data that these sequencers can generate. And so that's, so that's an important concept that we'll talk about. Uh, and then they're developing these sequencers basically as fast as they can put one of these graphs together. So, so they're really coming on the market really quick. One of my favorites is, is this little guy here. So it's called the Min-Ion. Uh, and it's, it's no bigger than my cell phone, but it has the ability to, to generate tons and tons of data. And it's basically just a USB key that you plug in, you add your sample to it, you're able to generate some data. And since my kids are kind of like-minded, they also do a lot of Google searching for Min-Ion, but of course they pronounce it a little differently, right? So, <laughs> all right. So, so when we're talking about big data, I know Harkamal touched on it this morning, as, as did Daniel and some other folks, right? So, so this is just an example of some of the sequence data that our lab generated, just to kind of give you an idea of how much data we're really talking about, okay? So, 
We work with these horrible non-graphical terminal emulators when we're analyzing this data. And, and so on this particular slide here, that data or that screen capture is just showing four sequences, which isn't much, right? Um, but this particular project on uh, this particular data file had more than 12 million sequences just in one data file, right? And so that'd be the equivalent of, I think my math's about right, so, so about three million screens of data, right? So, so that's a lot of information and it's just one text file and the text file itself is several gigabytes in size. So you can't even open these in a lot of, you know, Microsoft Word or something like that. So, so there's just like, there's tons and tons of data. And then for this particular, um, project, we had 36 such data files. Harkamal talked about one that had, I think he said 800 or so. so. So some of these projects get ridiculously big and they're generating ridiculous amounts of data, okay? And so, so those are definitely some of the challenges. A lot of the early drivers of this increase in technology. So, so we're really talking about increase in technology. We're able to generate a lot more sequence data than we could five years ago, 10 years ago, right? And so, these are just a couple of projects that are driving some of this innovation. Um, and, and honestly, there's hundreds or thousands more of these types of projects. And, and so you might imagine that we've seen a lot of growth in the technology to generate this data, but really the holdup is in bioinformatics and computational biology. There's a huge bottleneck in being able to analyze the data. And, and so that's becoming the problem. So now we're at a place where we can generate, as you saw on that previous slide or a couple, ago, a couple of slides ago, billions and billions of base pairs of sequence data just in one sequencing run. But the problem is having the expertise, the bioinformatics knowledge and computational biology knowledge to, to be able to analyze that data. And so that's really the challenge. And so I kind of have a background in bioinformatics and computational biology, so that's why Rock asked me to, to talk about this today. Um, I do want to make one distinction, though. We're kind of, I don't, I don't know that we have any bi true bioinformatics people in the department. So, so most of us that are on this side of things would argue that we're computational biologists. So, so kind of a true definition um, is that bioinformatics folks are the ones that are, are developing new algorithms and software tools to analyze some of the data, whereas computational biologists are actually using the tools to analyze the data sets. And so, so I definitely fall more into that later category. Uh, and so, as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the things I wanted to do is just talk about some of our research in bufflegrass and, and how we can take advantage of some of these modern sequencing tools to try and study a, a plant system for which there's really no upfront genomic information, okay? And so, so that's what I'm going to spend a little time on. Uh, and what I really want to do is just focus in on just, just one project. We have several of these going, but this is probably the one that's furthest along in the process and I think is we have some interesting data from it. And so leaf spot disease, it's, it's caused by a, a disease complex. So I work with buffalo grass. It's a low input sustainable turf grass species. It's native to the Great Plains region. Leaf spot disease is again caused by several pathogens, but it's one of the diseases that's important for buffalo grass. And so under the right conditions or as a manager, the bad conditions, right? So, so under the right conditions, you can get disease that's severe enough to cause stand loss, and so that's a problem. And so one of the things we did, uh, I also am a turf grass breeder, and so we want to identify new sources of, of host resistance to leaf spot disease. And so I had a postdoc, Sajiv Almerdasa, that screened uh, 
84 different buffalo-grass genotypes in the greenhouse, challenged them with the, one of the pathogens that cause leaf spot disease. And as you can see on the right, we found some that showed good resistance to leaf spot disease in the greenhouse and others that were sensitive to it. And so we picked some of those accessions that were either resistant to the disease or highly susceptible to the disease. And in fact, we, we picked two of each. And then we did one of these high-throughput sequencing experiments. And so we either grew those four plants, the two resistant or two susceptible genotypes, either under control conditions or challenged them with the pathogen. And then we extracted RNA, we converted that to cDNA, and we sequenced them. And so that way we could basically look at, take a snapshot and look at all of the genes that are turned on in response to the pathogen at, any, at that one point in time. Okay, so, so that's kind of the idea. And so what we're doing here is we're looking at basically 190,000 transcripts at one shot, and we're looking at how they differ between the susceptible lines and the resistant lines. And so one of the ways that, um, that we think is kind of creative, one of the ways that, that we looked at this, again, buffalo grass doesn't have any upfront information, and so it limits what we can do a little bit with it. So, so we turned to a good friend, foxtail millet, and we mapped all the differentially expressed genes to the foxtail millet genome. And I think in this graph here, the, the little red bars and the blue bars show um, where those differentially expressed genes map to foxtail millet. And this shows the, the nine chromosomes of, of foxtail millet there. The length of the bars represent the magnitude of change in gene expression when we compare the control to the inoculated conditions. And admittedly, this is a busy graph, and I don't expect you to take anything from this, but basically we had a good distribution, a good distribution of differentially expressed genes throughout the, the foxtail millet genome. And so if we just take a closer look and look at chromosome 8, you might notice in that 6 o'clock position there, uh, there are a handful of genes that are turned on uh, in the two resistant lines shown in the red, and then there are no genes in the same position that are differentially expressed in the susceptible lines, right, and so they were, that are shown in the blue. And so to us, that suggests that that's potentially a genomic region of importance. So, so even though this, we're using a Ceteria italica, this foxtail millet, as a reference, not buffalo grass, it gives us some insights on genomic regions of potential importance, okay? So that's one of the ways that, that we're using some of this data. Another way is to do a traditional differential gene expression type study. And so again, I mentioned that there were 100 and I don't remember how many thousand genes that, that we're looking at under these conditions. And in this graph, we're looking at uh, the changes in expression, or we're comparing the resistant lines to the susceptible lines. So prestige on the bottom is uh, sensitive to leaf spot disease, so that's the horizontal axis. Anything on the right is considered upregulated in response to the pathogen. And then anything on the left is downregulated in response to the pathogen. And then 9555 on, on the vertical axis is our resistant line, so anything above that kind of midpoint line is uh, being induced in response to the, the pathogen. And so you can see, you can imagine kind of a, a, a line, a diagonal line there that's essentially um, showing that most of the genes are behaving the same in both the resistant and susceptible lines. But the ones that, were, that really caught our eye and that were most interesting to us are these ones that are shown in that red circle there that were upregulated in response to the pathogen in the resistant line, 9555, and downregulated in prestige. And so we developed some genetic markers. We, we took a closer look and looked at the expression of those, did kind of a typical 
heat map, and so this is representing those 536 genes in that little red circle and, and looking at kind of how they're expressed. The red indicates that they're downregulated, green indicates that they're upregulated. And you can see that a lot of these genes are upregulated in the resistant lines, downregulated in the sensitive lines. So that's kind of what we saw. And so doing these kinds of studies and taking this kind of approach, it gives us a lot of information in buffalo grass. And again, we had no upfront information on buffalo grass. So, so in our eyes, this is a, using some of these modern sequencing tools, it's, it's pretty powerful. So, so we, again, can gain a lot of information. Um, so just kind of quickly here, we have several other projects going on, uh, looking at different traits in buffalo grass. We're looking at gender expression. Buffalo grass is a dioecious species, so we're looking at uh, comparing male buffalo grass to female buffalo grass and finding genes important for gender expression. We're looking at leaf spot disease resistance, like I just showed, chinch bug resistance. Uh, we're just initiating a new project now where we're looking at um, mechanisms of seed dormancy and, and using some of these technologies to do that. And then, again, my, I'm managing a buffalo grass breeding program, okay? And so my primary interest in, is in using all these tools to develop genetic markers or learn some type of information that we can apply to improve the efficiency of our breeding program to select basically either germplasm that has new sources of resistance or develop markers that we can track resistance through our breeding population. So, so that's kind of the idea. Here's an example where we found some markers that, that could do that. And these are our gene expression-based markers that we used. Uh, and again, the idea is then to, to be able to track those and ultimately develop new buffalo grasses. That's kind of the idea. I promised Rock I would talk quick, so all right. Try and get us back on track. So, so that's all I have, so thanks.